Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. We are one church that meets in hundreds of different locations. So besides the people meeting here in North Garnett, we have people all over the country and world that are meeting with us right now. So if you guys would, here in North Garnett, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family today. One thing that I'm learning about my son, Alex, he just turned seven a couple weeks ago. He is headstrong. He is determined, and he has a strong will. And I know exactly where he gets it from, his mother, not from me. But uh, he is definitely strong-willed. And when he puts his mind to something, he gets it done. In fact, during the whole quarantine thing, when everybody was sheltering in place and uh, he wasn't allowed to play with his friends, he wanted to play a game of horse, you know, the basketball game horse, where you take shots, and if you miss one, you get a letter, you know. He wanted to play a game of horse with one of, his, one of his neighborhood buddies, but his neighborhood buddy couldn't come over. And so what they decided to do, Alex came up with this, he created a virtual game of horse on FaceTime. And so he did this several different days, but I filmed him one day playing with his buddy. Take a look at this. I love the trash talk at the end. You know, the guy's like, hey, I made a left-handed shot. And Alex goes, but you missed. I love that. That's my boy right there. But, you know, I asked Alex after one day of playing this, I was like, how'd you come up with that? That's really creative, buddy. And he, he goes, a baller's got a ball. You know, just that attitude. That's my son. He's, that's just the way he is. But I love how determined he is. I love how headstrong he is. You know, there's an old saying that goes, where there's a will, there's a way. In other words, people will find a way to do what they want to do. People will find a way to do what they love to do. People will find a way to do what they enjoy to do. You might say it like this. You might say, we make time for what we believe is important. So practically speaking, when it comes to our families, if you believe your family is important, you're going to make time for them. No matter how busy your schedule is, no matter how packed your agenda may be, if you love your family, you will make time for them. When it comes to exercise, if you think exercise is important, then you will make time to do it. You will create margin in your schedule to exercise in order to take care of yourself. So when the alarm clock goes off at 5 a.m., you don't hit the snooze. You get up and you go do it because you know that's important. When it comes to certain hobbies or activities in life, if those things are important to you, you will make time for those things. When it comes to friendships, if there's a friendship that's important to you, you will sacrificially take time to be there for that person. If something is important to you, you will make time for it. But the opposite of that is also true. If you say something is important to you, but you never make time for it, then it's probably not that important to you. I mean, if you say your family is important to you, but you never make time for your family, you never spend quality time with them, your actions speak louder than your words. If you say exercise is important, but every single morning when the alarm goes off, when you're supposed to be going for that morning jog, you hit snooze and you never actually go jogging like you're supposed to or you want to, it's probably really not that important to you. If somebody says, hey, I, I need to eat right and I need to eat healthy, but you go to the restaurant and you continue to order the double bacon cheeseburger with extra large fries, 
there's a gap that exists between your good intentions and your actions. And that's why last Sunday we said this. We said good intentions are not a substitute for being intentional. And that's true not just when it comes to eating right or spending time with our families or friendships or whatever else. It's also true when it comes to our spiritual lives. See, when it comes to our spiritual lives, most of us are well-intentioned. We want to read our Bibles more. We want to pray more. We want to be more involved in church. We want to join a small group. We want to serve more. We want to be more generous and give more. We want to do all these things. But oftentimes where we live is in the gap that exists between our intentions and our actions. And that's why the Bible repeatedly teaches us. I mean, if if you read throughout Scripture, you will see this theme over and over and over again. And it's this. The Bible repeatedly teaches us that living by faith doesn't happen by accident but by intentionally aligning ourselves with God's purpose for our lives. If you want to follow Jesus, it's got to be on purpose. It's not going to happen by accident. See, faith isn't something that we inherit. Living by faith isn't something that just happens. If you want to live by faith, it takes being intentional about it. And that's true not just when it comes to our own personal spiritual lives, It's also true when it comes to our mission as a church. See, we believe that the church exists to unleash the joy of heaven on the sadness of earth. That's why we're here. And locally, as First Church in Owasso, Oklahoma, we believe that we are here to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond. We believe that by loving Jesus and loving like Jesus, we can change people's lives. We can change people's eternity. We can change our culture, but in order for that to happen, we can't shelter our faith in place. In order for that to happen, we've got to be intentional about living out our mission. See, that's why Jesus says in John 13, Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples when you're not sheltering in place or when you're not experiencing a global pandemic or anything like that. There's no qualifiers here. Jesus says every single day, no matter what season you're in, no matter what situation you find yourself in, your love for people, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are who you claim to be, a follower of Jesus. So that means when you're in line at Walmart or you're driving down the road, or you're on social media, how you treat people will prove to them who you really are. Paul goes on to say this. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It doesn't matter what you believe in your head. It doesn't matter what opinions you have. It doesn't matter how often you show up to church or you worship online. What matters is that you express that faith in love on a daily basis. We are here to unleash a revolution of God's love, and that's not going to happen by accident. We've got to be intentional about it. That's why Jesus says that the greatest two commandments are to love God and love people. We say it like this at First Church, love Jesus, love like Jesus. Those are the greatest two commandments. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to do it on purpose, especially during these chaotic and crazy and uncertain times. Because right now we're in a season where it's real easy to spiritually coast. 
And that's why last Sunday as we began this series, we issued our COVID challenge because we want to challenge our church to intentionally go out and do acts of love that will bring the joy of heaven into the sadness of earth. See, what we want to do is we want to take a negative word, the word COVID, and turn it into a positive. And right now there are 2,525 uh, cases of COVID in our general area. And from the five communities that we draw the most people from as a church, that's how many cases of COVID were documented as of last Last Sunday, and what we challenged our church to do last week was to go out over the next three weeks and do intentional, deliberate acts of kindness in response to all those cases of COVID. And we understand that doing those acts of kindness, that's not going to eradicate COVID-19, but maybe we can spread some joy in the midst of all the sadness that's out there. And if you need some help knowing what to do, well, we created this acronym. Commit to praying for someone by name. Offer financial assistance to someone in need. Volunteer to serve a neighbor. Invest in someone who feels isolated or dream up your own act of love. Guys, it doesn't have to be huge. If the smallest act of love, the smallest act of kindness can be just what a person needs. It can give you the opportunity to shine Jesus' light in the midst of a very dark moment. Just this past Friday night, we had some friends from ours at church that we went out to eat with and we just had a double date and it was a good time. But after we were done, we left the restaurant and we sat outside the restaurant for two hours almost and talked to this couple not because they necessarily wanted to, but they knew we needed to. Alice and I, I mean, we're fine personally, but we've been through a whole lot during this whole COVID-19 thing. This is a stressful situation we're in as a church and everything going on, and this couple just kind of knew it, and they just wanted to listen to us. And it's what we needed in that moment. We needed somebody just to listen and talk to them. They were encouraging, and they were supportive, and it was awesome. And I looked at them, and I said, this is your act of kindness and love. We needed this. I can't even explain how much we needed this. I wish they would not have recorded their act of kindness on their church app while we were talking to them, but still, that's okay. I appreciate them. No, they didn't do that. I'm just kidding. But still, I appreciate them being there for us. It's the little things that can give us a great opportunity, a huge opportunity to shine Jesus' light. So that's what we want to do over the next three weeks. We want to be intentional about making sure that we are shining our light in the midst of the darkness. And in order for that to happen, we're going to have to be intentional about it. And that's why we're looking at the example of a guy named Josiah from the Old Testament. We started talking about Josiah last week as we launched this series. He was king of Judah for 31 years, and Josiah was a guy who lived for God on purpose. Now, if you grew up in children's church or Sunday school, you've probably heard of Josiah before because he became king at, at a young age. He was only eight years old when he became king, but we're studying him because he intentionally lived for God, and because he did so, he changed his culture. He changed the entire kingdom that he was reigning over because he became king at a very chaotic time. It wasn't chaotic because of uh, virus. It was chaotic because of the immorality of the nation. You see, his grandfather, Josiah's grandfather, was a guy named Manasseh. We talked about him last week. And Manasseh, this is what the Bible says about him. The Bible says that Manasseh did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's an understatement, I think. We talked last week about what Manasseh did. This was a guy who stopped worshiping God and he brought in idols, false gods, for the people to worship. And along with those idols came their pagan practices. During their worship services, they had prostitution going on and sexual orgies taking place. They practiced black magic and they held seances and they consulted psychics and worshiped the moon and the stars and other demonic stuff. Not only that, a lot of innocent people were killed under Manasseh's reign. 
They even practiced human sacrifices to their false gods. At one point, Manasseh even sacrificed one of his own sons, killed one of his own sons. That's how evil this dude was. And he reigned for 55 years. I mean, again, President of the United States, he's in power for what, four to eight years maybe? This guy reigned for 55 years. That's what the people had to endure. And then he dies, and his son Amon becomes king. And the Bible says this about Amon, who would be Josiah's dad. says, Amon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So Amon follows in the footsteps of his daddy, and the evil and the wickedness just continues. And here's the thing. Josiah... He could have followed in the same footsteps as his dad and grandfather. He could have kept this wicked and evil cycle going. He could have just continued the legacy that was passed down to him because that's what he had always known. But he doesn't. Josiah looks at the kingdom and he sees how broken it is. He looks at the people and he sees how far they are from God. He realizes the state, the spiritual state that the nation is in. And he realizes it's time to take a different path. And this is what the Bible says about Josiah. It says, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. See, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of God. And here's the thing. Josiah knew he needed a better example. He knew that the example that had been passed down from him from his father and grandfather wasn't a good one. So in order to break that cycle, he needed a better model. He needed a better example. And so he went back to his ancient, distant ancestor, David, who was known for being the best king of Israel. And he said, I want to be like him. And David was known for being a man after God's own heart. So Josiah said, I want to be a man after God's own heart. And look at what it says about Josiah. It says he followed completely the ways of his father, David. Now, followed completely, think about that. That doesn't happen accidentally. You've got to be intentional about doing that. Josiah was going to break the cycle. He was going to take a different path. And he wasn't going to let anyone or anything distract him from being the man that God wanted him to be. And that's why we're looking at Josiah's example. Because he followed God on purpose, not only did it change his life, but it changed the entire direction of the nation. God's people came back to him, and one of the greatest spiritual awakenings, revivals, movements happened in all the Old Testament under Josiah's reign as king. And this line is said about Josiah towards the end of his life. It says this. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength. Now remember, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king who turned to the Lord like him. David came before him. Josiah ended up turning to the Lord on a deeper level than even his ancestor David did. But I love that word turned right there because that word turned in Hebrew literally means to change direction, to turn from going in one direction and deciding to go in a different direction, to change course, to change past, basically. It's making the determination, I'm not going to face this way anymore. I'm going to face this way because that's the direction of God. 
Josiah decided to turn away from what he had always known, turn away from the life that had been handed down to him, and turn in the direction of God. And because of that, like I said, it led to a great revival among the people. Now, here's the thing. When Josiah decided to turn in the direction of God, he had no idea where that path was going to take him. He just knew God knew what was best for him. But he had no idea where God was going to lead him. He just knew that he wasn't in charge of the universe, that he wasn't the one that held the cosmos in his hands, that he wasn't the one who created everything. God was. And so he trusted God who created his very life, Josiah's very life, to lead him where he needed to go. See, anytime we intentionally live for God, it's always a matter of trust. It's a matter of us saying this. It's a matter of us sitting back and saying, God, you lead and I'll follow. Wherever you take me, I'll follow. I may not know right now what path you want me to go down, but as long as you're ahead of me, I am going to follow. Josiah knew he needed to follow God, but he had no idea where that path would take him. And I dare say that's probably, or it has been true for most of us. It's true for me. When I first decided to follow Jesus as Lord, I had no idea where that path would take me. No idea. See, when I first decided to follow Jesus, I knew I needed a Savior. I knew that I needed somebody to forgive me. I needed God's grace. I needed forgiveness. I needed someone to rescue me. I knew I had rebelled against God. I knew I had messed up. I knew I needed a Savior. So I turned to Jesus so that he could save my life. But here's the thing. When you follow Jesus, you don't just follow him as Savior. You also follow him as Lord. And when you follow him as Lord, what you're saying is, okay, Jesus, now that you've saved me, I want you to take me where I need to go. I want you to change the direction of my life. I want you to transform me. I want you to mold me and make me into who you want me to be because that's not who I've been in the past. Jesus, wherever you lead, I will follow. And the Bible says that we are to grow in our relationship with Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to be growing up in such a way that we know him as Savior on a deeper level every single day, but we also know him as Lord on a deeper level every single day to where we follow him more and more. We trust him more and more so that that relationship that we have with him continues to change us. See, that's what following Jesus is all about. It's not, it's not about just getting a get-into-heaven-free card. That's what a Savior gives you. It's also making him your Lord, and that's letting him change your entire life. And when you let him do it, that relationship with Jesus will change everything. See, when I was first married, on my wedding day, I could define marriage for you. Here's a picture of Alice and me on our wedding day. I've showed this before. Love that picture. Love that day. It was an awesome day. And on my wedding day, I could give you a biblical definition for marriage. I mean, I had read books on marriage. I had a marriage and family class in Bible college. I knew the scripture pretty well, so I knew what the Bible said about marriage. I could give you a theological discourse on marriage if you wanted me to. And even as a young preacher who was preaching before he was married, I tried to teach and preach on marriage, and I was an idiot. But still, I tried to. 
I could give you a biblical definition for marriage. But I had no idea how much my relationship with my wife over the years would totally and completely change my life, would change how I see everything, would change my entire perspective on life. This relationship changed everything for me, and Allison would want me to say, for the better, and it was for the better. The same is true when it comes to my children. I always want to be a dad, always want to be a dad, but I had no idea how my relationship with these two little human beings would radically change my life. I see everything different now because of them. This is a picture that was taken on the day that Addie was born, and there, there's Alex and me holding her in the hospital. Had no idea how these two little human beings would change my entire perspective of life. But they did. And there are some relationships that just change everything. And that's the way my relationship with Jesus has worked as well. When I first was baptized into Christ, I knew I needed a Savior, but I had no idea how much that relationship with Jesus would change me, and it has. And I can say today with total confidence and honesty for the better, my relationship with Jesus is by far the best thing that has ever happened to me. He has taken me places that I never thought I would go. I have done things that I never thought I would do. I have stopped doing things I never thought I would stop doing. I serve him in a way like I never thought possible. He empowers me in ways that I never thought could happen. He comforts me in ways that only he can. I'm able to love people in ways like I never could before. I have forgiven people that I never thought I could forgive. He has radically transformed my life. And even though following him at times has been tough, the life that he has given me, the path that he has laid out for me, is so worth it. And I think that's what Josiah would say to you today as well if he were standing on the stage. He decides to follow God intentionally, but what God asked him to do is tough. And he had to make a decision whether or not it was worth it and by the end of his life, I think Josiah could say, following God is always, always worth it. See, the first test of Josiah following God actually comes in 2 Kings 22, verse 3. Josiah doesn't know exactly what he needs to do to follow God, so he basically gives the command or the order to the priest in the temple, clean up the temple, because it's God's temple and it's a mess right now. So I don't know exactly what to do in order to make the nation right with God, but clean up the temple, that'll be a good first step. So they go in to clean up the temple, and Hilkiah, the high priest, he stumbles across something that has been lost, something that has been lost for generations. And this is what the Bible says. Look what it says in 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Now, pause just for a second. The book of the law, that's God's word. That's God's instructions for the people. What we call the scripture. It had been lost for generations, forgotten about. 
And in this day and age, there was probably only one full copy of God's word, one intact copy of God's word. And it wasn't a book like we think. It was probably in scrolls, but still, they had one full copy of God's word. It was in the temple, and it had been lost somewhere, been hidden in some back closet or something. It had been lost. Now, that's hard for us to imagine because in our culture, there are Bibles everywhere. You know, if you don't have a Bible, you can go buy one at Walmart or Sam's Club right now. I mean, there are Bibles everywhere. In fact, I told our staff just the other day, we were talking about this, and I told our staff that in my home office, I have a bookshelf that's just full of Bibles. Here's a picture of it. These are all Bibles right here. Now, the different translations, different versions, different study Bibles and all that, but these are just Bibles, and that's just in my house alone. If you go to my office, I've got even more Bibles. I own over 100 Bibles easy. Now, I don't say that to brag. I just say, we've got Bibles everywhere, right? But in this day and age, that wasn't the case. They just had one copy, one full copy, and it had been lost for generations. And so Hilkiah finds it, and they decide to take it to the king, to King Josiah. And look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. See, tearing your robes was a sign of grief and remorse. Why is King Josiah so distraught in this moment? Because for the first time, he's being exposed to God's word. And he realizes just how far the people of God are from God. He realizes just how far away they've moved from God. He He realizes how messed up and broken the nation really is. And he's heartbroken over it he hears the word of God and his heart is convicted in this moment and he has to make a decision does he do what God is asking him to do or does he keep things the same because here's the thing what God was asking him to do was a lot of tough stuff Josiah realizes in this moment it's not just that I got to clean up the temple and get all the idols out I've got to teach the people how to worship God again because they don't know how to do it It's not just that i got to get rid of black magic and all the psychics in the land. I've got to teach people how to trust God again. It's not just that I've got to abolish human sacrifices and give a command that no more human sacrifices are to be offered in the land. I've got to teach people how to love their neighbors again. And as king, Josiah has to make the decision of whether or not he's going to reign for his own power and authority and glory or if he's going to reign in such a way that he gives God all the glory. What God is asking Josiah to do is make some drastic changes. And Josiah says, I'm willing to do it because what we've been doing isn't working. And so he inquires of God. He asks God for help. And look at what God says to Josiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. This is to Josiah. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. What does God say, Josiah? Because you responded to me, I will respond to you. Because you turned to me, I will turn to you. See, here's what we learn from this example here. We learn that when we intentionally turn to God, he will meet us in the gap between our good intentions and actions. 
Yes, what God may be asking us, calling us to do is tough, but when we turn to him, he will meet us in the gap that exists between our good intentions and our actions, and he will help us move out of that gap to the place where we need to be so we can live the life that we need to live. And that's why I love studying the example of Josiah because he intentionally turned to God in such a way that God was able to move him to a place where he never thought possible and bring about the greatest revival that had happened in all of Old Testament history. And so I wanna look at Josiah's example here and see how he turned to God. And I wanna see if this is what you need to do today as well. And the first thing that Josiah did in order to intentionally turn to God was this. He owned his brokenness. And I believe God is asking us to do the same. He is asking us to own our brokenness. See, Josiah didn't make excuses. He didn't ignore the problem at hand, but he was personally convicted. And he knew that he needed to change. Look at what God says to him. God says to Josiah, because your heart was responsive. In other words, because you're taking personal responsibility for this. Because you're taking personal responsibility for this, I'm going to respond to you in a very powerful way. Josiah was honest. He didn't make excuses. He didn't blame somebody else. He didn't pass the buck. He decided that he needed to change. And God honored that. I once heard someone say this. I once heard someone say that the opposite of self-awareness is self-deception. And I think that's true. If the truth can set us free, as Jesus says, the lies have the power to hold us hostage. And if we're not honest with ourselves, honest with the path that we're currently on, we will never see the need for a new path. We will never see the need for change. Josiah saw this need and he decided that he was going, he was going to change. And his personal conviction led to action. See, that's the thing. Conviction is only good when it leads to action. Conviction should never stop just at good intentions. Josiah's personal conviction led to action, and that's why he does what he does next. The next thing that Josiah does is he humbles himself. And I believe God is calling us to do the same thing today. He's asking us to humble ourselves before him. Now, throughout Scripture, there are a lot of examples of men and women who were humbled by God. You know, they were doing wrong or they were taking the wrong path, and God humbled them. God did something to wake them up. God humbled them in that moment. But that's not what Josiah does. Josiah doesn't wait for God to humble him. Josiah humbles himself. Look at what God says to Josiah this is because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before me. See, Josiah says, God, my life is no longer all about me. It's no longer about my opinions and my wants and my desires and my ambitions and my goals. My life is all about you. And so, God, what matters to you, that's what now matters to me. But here's the thing. Humbling ourselves in that way, it's tough. Because we don't like to admit when we're wrong. We don't like to admit when we mess up. We don't like to admit when we've taken the wrong path. Instead, what we do is we choose denial. That's the first thing we like to do. And we say, oh, it's really not as bad as it seems. I'm really not doing anything that's that bad. And we just deny, deny, deny. And it ends up that we're lying and we're lying and we're lying. We're not owning where we really are. Or maybe we play the comparison game. Well, my life isn't near as bad as so-and-so's life. Yeah, it may be a little bit off, but it's not near as bad as that person's life. So God must still be more happy with me than he is with that person. That's not how it works. 
Or maybe we just blame other people. The reason why I'm in the situation I'm in is because of the legacy that was passed down to me from my parents or my grandparents. Or the reason why I'm in the situation I'm in is because other people have too high of expectations for me. Or the reason why I'm in the situation I'm in is because of the circumstances that I have experienced over the past little bit in my life. And we blame other people. We blame our circumstances. And we never see the need for change. You see, pride puts us on the opposite side of God. But humility, when we humble ourselves, you know what happens? When we humble ourselves, we invite God's grace into our lives. And God lifts us out of our brokenness. He meets us in our brokenness in order to lift us out of it. And what ends up happening when God empowers us in the midst of our brokenness, we're able to make the turn. And that's what we've got to do next. We've got to be willing to actually make the turn physically, emotionally, spiritually, make the turn that God wants us to make. That's what Josiah did. See, Josiah was willing to actually do the tough stuff that God wanted him to do. And turning is difficult. But it's not enough just to want to turn. It's not enough to know we need to turn. We actually have to turn. I heard somebody say the other day this, said the difference between following Jesus and not following Jesus is, are you ready for it? Following Jesus. The difference between following Jesus and not following Jesus, well, it's following Jesus. Now, that's profound, I know, that's deep, but it's true. If you wanna follow Jesus, then you actually have to follow Jesus. And if you wanna live a new life, the life that God wants you to live, you actually have to turn from your old way of life. You've got to be willing to do just that, and Josiah was willing to do that. In 2 Kings 22, verse 19, it says, because you tore your robes and wept in my presence. See, that was a degrading thing to do. He was saying, I'm wrong, I've messed up. It was a physical sign letting everyone know that he was willing to change and do whatever God wanted him to do. And even though it may have been embarrassing for him to tear his clothes right there, even though it may have been embarrassing for him to admit that he had done wrong and the kingdom was going in the wrong direction, he was willing to do whatever it took to make the turn. And right now, if you're taking a path that isn't the path God wants you to take, you might be thinking, hey, it's going to be really tough for me to make that turn. Because right now, the path I'm on, it's kind of fun. That inappropriate relationship I'm in right now, it's kind of fun. And it's an escape, and it's easy. God says, yeah, but one day all that's going to be gone, and that inappropriate relationship is just going to lead to more pain. You might be saying, you know, I know I shouldn't be racking up all this debt, but it's fun. I'm getting all this stuff, and it's fun, but it's just going to lead to more pain. Or maybe you're, you know you need to stop that addiction, but you haven't stopped it yet because, again, it's fun, and it's a good escape. But God says, you keep going down that path. It's just going to lead to more pain and more heartache. Yeah, the turn in the moment might make you feel uncomfortable. And the turn in the moment might mean you have to make a sacrifice. You've got to give up something. And the turn in the moment might not be easy. But as tough as that turn is, it's always worth it. I made the comment that I had no idea where God would take me when I started following Jesus as Lord. When I was baptized into Christ, I had no idea that I would end up in ministry. 
preaching to people like you. I had no idea that that's where I would end up. No offense by that, but still, I had no idea that this is where I would be. When I was first baptized, my plans after that, I was going to study law, and I was going to go into politics. I want to be a politician. My goal is to be president of the United States. You guys would have voted for me, right? Uh, maybe not, but still, uh, hey, that's what I wanted to do. And God got a hold of me. I followed him and trusted him, went to Bible college and seminary and grad school, ended up preaching in a local church, and then eventually I came here. And even when I was in Bible college, if you would have told me, hey, one day you're going to move 800 miles away from your family and everything you know, and you're going to move to northeast Oklahoma, I would have said, yeah, right. On the morning after Alice and I accepted the position here to come and preach, we said yes one afternoon. The next morning, we woke up and we cried in our living room. Because even though we knew it's what God wanted us to do, it was hard to leave everything we knew, all of our friends, all of our family. But you know, over the past two and a half years that I've been here, and especially over the past five, six months, I have seen God work in such incredible ways. I wouldn't trade all the tough stuff we had to go through to get here. I wouldn't trade it for what I've experienced. Because I've seen God work and it's all been worth it. I was talking to one of our staff members here at First Church this week, and he was telling me the story about when he was at a different church before he came here and he was a youth minister. He said there was a young couple in his high school ministry that started coming to church. Why they started coming to church, not sure, probably because it was a social thing to do or whatever, but they started coming to church, this high school couple. And they were sexually active. And they continued to be for a while until they found Jesus. And they got baptized, and they decided they need to stop that, but not just stop that activity. They knew that now that that door had been opened, it'd be real easy to get right back there. So they made a commitment to each other and to God that they would not even kiss one another. And the Bible doesn't go to that extreme, <laughs> But they decided to do it because they didn't want for one thing to lead to another thing. And so they continued to date, never kissed. They got engaged, still didn't kiss. They did not kiss one another again until their wedding day. And I bet it was a short reception. <laughs> Just saying. And not only is that couple still married and they have a strong marriage and a strong family, they're in ministry now, helping other people, changing lives, assisting those who are going through similar issues that they went through years ago. God is using them in incredible ways, and if that couple were standing on the stage today, they would say, was it tough not to kiss one another while we were dating and engaged and all that? You bet it was. But following God's plan is so worth it. And if Josiah were here right now, he'd say the same thing. Doing everything that the book of the law, doing everything that God's instructions told him to do, it was tough, but it was so worth it. And he ended up saving the nation because he followed God's lead. I don't know what path you're on right now, but if God is asking you, calling you to change direction right now, how are you responding to him in this moment? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today and this time we had to open up 
your word. And I just pray that we can live more intentionally. That, Father, we can live on purpose for you. That we can be the people that you're calling us to be. And when you ask us to make a turn, that we will make the turn that you're calling us to make. Thank you so much for meeting us in the midst of our brokenness and knowing that when we humble ourselves, you will bring us up out of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.